everybody, and welcome to Comics and Cinema. I'm your host, Alex Klein, and we've got a great episode for you today. I have been putting in the hours when it comes to our favorite kaiju, and I certainly am talking about Godzilla. So the reason for this, and the reason for um, you know watching all of these movies, is Godzilla vs. King Kong is coming to theaters and HBO Max on March 31st, which may seem strange because it's in the middle of the week. I think they're trying to utilize the Easter weekend, but regardless, uh, Godzilla has always been one of my favorite movie characters ever since I was a little kid. My my mom was a pretty big fan, I'm if I'm remembering right, of Godzilla, those older Godzilla movies. I think she watched some of them as a kid, and whenever they were on TV or we had an opportunity to grab a copy from the library or from Blockbuster back in the day, uh, I would always do it. So uh, last year, I purchased the Godzilla Showa-era film set from the Criterion Collection. So for those of you that know me, I am a Criterion snob. I love my Criterion movies. And when they announced that they were doing a 15-movie Godzilla set, I could not resist. And uh, and I couldn't be happier now that I'm finally getting to sit down and watch these movies. So my whole goal has been to watch a Godzilla movie every single day up until the Godzilla vs. Kong comes out. And I haven't exactly watched one every single day, but I'm getting pretty close to the end of watching at least these 15 movies. So we'll see how many I choose to discuss in this episode. This is going to be either a two-part or three-part series because there are so many Godzilla movies. I don't think I'm going to watch the sort of 80s 90s Godzillas there's a couple in there that I've been really wanting to watch like Godzilla Final Wars and I believe there's uh, is it Godzilla 2000 uh, the classic Godzilla as well well not classic but the 1998 Godzilla uh, and then there's some of the newer Godzillas that I really want to talk about as well like Kong Skull Island technically not Godzilla but I think that's appropriate uh, along with the 2014 Godzilla Godzilla King of the Monsters and um Shin Godzilla, which was a 2016 Godzilla movie that was also really, really good. But for this episode, we're going to start with probably the first eight Godzilla movies and uh, see how long that gets us to talk. I may cut it off short. I certainly don't want you uh, listening for hours and hours as I talk about Godzilla as much as uh, I love to do it. And we'll see. Who knows? Maybe I've got nothing to say, but we'll find out. So the first Godzilla movie that came out was the original Godzilla. This was in 1954, titled Godzilla, and there was an American, uh, I wouldn't call it a remake, it was more of a revision, uh, essentially the same movie, but they inserted a bunch of scenes with an American actor, and that one's called Godzilla, King of the Monsters, so the, a play on that title with the most recent Godzilla movie that came out in 2019. Uh, directed by Ishiro Honda, who is kind of the king of Godzilla, I would say because <clears throat> excuse me he directed a lot of the Godzilla movies and obviously he directed the first Godzilla movie so uh this is by far my favorite Godzilla movie I I, I don't know anybody who would say differently and unless they're trying to argue maybe some of the more recent Godzilla movies only because the first is always the best in regards to Godzilla because no other Godzilla movie would even exist had it not been for this first Godzilla movie and at the end of the day this movie is a feat in cinematic uh, quality, I guess you could say. Just the lengths that they went to creating this film, creating the miniaturized versions of the cities so that somebody in a Godzilla suit could smash them. And eventually, as these movies go on, when Godzilla fights other creatures, uh, it's basically people in giant costumes fighting, or or there's there's tons of amazing wire work that we'll get into. Just a labor of love, in my opinion, that these these uh, the studio, the Showa, uh, I believe it's Showa, maybe to Tohi or Toho, but. The premise of this first Godzilla movie is very simple. It is the nuclear testing, which again spawned out of the uh, Hiroshima Nagasaki nuclear bombings that uh, the U.S. had or did to Japan back during World War II. <clears throat> there was still a lot of fear kind of going around in the country, and this was a, sort of a response to that. And the premise being 
due to nuclear testing, due to nuclear explosions, ancient creatures are being awakened from deep beneath the sea. So Godzilla in this first movie is categorized kind of as a dinosaur, as this ancient being that was around during, I think they said, the Cretaceous period. So not necessarily a Tyrannosaurus or, you know, an Allosaurus or anything like that. It's kind of his own thing that they created for the film. But they almost argue, and I, I don't think it's in this film, it might be in the second film, but they are ta- they talk about it's a mix between a Tyrannosaurus and a Stegosaurus because of the plates that he has on the back of his uh, on his back. So because of the nuclear testing, the kind of the ground has been shaking, the radiation has been emanating from where they were, and that has awakened Godzilla. And so they're starting to see him approach land. And they don't know what to do. These people are freaking out. Scientists, and, and I'd say as well, I believe his name is uh, not Toshiro Honda, but, uh, and I've got I've got my giant Godzilla book that shows all of the different movies. Uh, his name is Takashi Shimura. And uh, if you don't recognize the name, that's fine. <clears throat> he was a big uh, mainstay for Akira Kurosawa films. So you may remember him from Ikiru or from Rashomon. I believe he was in Rashomon, uh, but he's in a lot of these Godzilla movies as well. And so he plays a scientist, and he's kind of the same scientist that Ken Watanabe is in the most recent Godzilla movies, saying that you know Godzilla is a force of nature. He isn't necessarily a bad guy. He's here because of us. Like he's here because of the nuclear testing and the nuclear bombs. And so it's like if you're going to blame anybody, kind of blame the humans. It's not really Godzilla's fault, but obviously Godzilla is so large, so giant that he just destroys everything that he sees. And so the military wants to destroy him. He's kind of fighting for Godzilla, but certainly not too much, right? Like he's, you know, if Godzilla showed up in the city, he'd be like, all right, I got to get out of here. But there's a there's a B plot storyline in this first movie where he his daughter has a relationship with a scientist and there's kind of a weird love triangle as well between him and the uh, there's another guy as well who's like a soldier I think in the army and so she's she's kind of dating one guy but is falling in love with the other guy and the the man she's currently dating is he has an eye patch and I thought that was really cool he's kind of a little bit like a pirate but he's very very smart and he actually is the one that comes up with the quote-unquote way to kill Godzilla because at the end of the day you can't kill Godzilla he's a he's a force of nature and so he shows her uh, on one of their dates uh, he's in his lab and he shows her this thing and, and they do a really good job of cutting in and out of this where he's like I need you to take a look at this and so she looks at this uh an aquarium and a fish tank that has some fish in it and he does something off screen that you don't see and all of a sudden she freaks out and it's like oh no what did she see and so as the movie goes along you're kind of wondering okay well how are they going to defeat Godzilla and throughout this we're getting some really really great shots of uh, particularly the one that really stands out to me is when Godzilla first approaches an island. Uh, So it's like the first of the mainland. This is before he's getting right into Tokyo. And so it's a lot of island people towards the edge of the sea sort of thing. They're living in huts. And there's this great bit where they're all running uh, up the side of a mountain trying to get away. And in the background, superimposed from their shot is Godzilla. And you can clearly tell with age now that it's two different shots put on top of each other. But it's no less amazing, in my opinion. Like just seeing these people kind of looking up and screaming as this giant Godzilla is looking down on them is terrifying. And uh, like I said, it's fun to think that it's just a guy in a suit. And there are a lot of moments in these movies where it's very clear and and almost to its detriment to be like, all right, we get it. Like it's a guy in a suit because Godzilla starts acting like a human in the way that he walks, and it's like you know Godzilla really wouldn't act like that. But we forgive it because again, this is the first of its kind in a sense this is a big monster movie and this has this birthed so many other monster movies and so sure enough he uh he ends up going towards tokyo and again in the in the american version of this there's a reporter this reporter is kind of following along trying to get the scoop and and providing background to the audience so that uh, they kind of understand it i personally prefer the uh, original version the japanese version 
but uh, if you've got like a young kid, maybe they would really like the uh, American version just because it's all in English. But I, I would say if you're really wanting to get the best experience, it would be to watch these all with subtitles. So as, as he approaches Tokyo, he's he's destroying everything. And, and it's really eerie because the shots, it's it's all in black and white, but it happens a lot at night. And so there's just this this haunting quality to Godzilla where again he is just a force of nature he's not he has no agenda he's not you know trying to kill the president or trying to you know destroy the army he's just moving and grooving basically and so destroying everything in his path it's fantastic and you know all the the army is trying to stop him they're shooting him with missiles and rockets and obviously nothing is working and then we start to see Godzilla's trademark uh, fire come out of him and it, it, it's great in this first movie we really get to see it his back uh, spikes light up and then he blows his his blue fire in this case it's white because of black and white but uh no less cool i mean again back in 1954 i would have been losing my mind in the movie theater if i have seen this and uh man i would have i would have lost my mind at a lot of these movies but by the end of it they kind of coax godzilla back into the water and uh, we find out the reveal is that the scientist has discovered this way to sort of it's called the oxygen destroyer is what he calls it and so essentially it's this thing that when you put it in the water and uh kind of activate it in a sense it it eliminates all oxygen in the water which is really a cool concept so when when she's freaking out towards the beginning of the movie when she sees this it's because he puts this in the water and all of the fish immediately turn to bones like they just turn to skeletons which again it's it's uh you know science fiction it may, may not exactly be that way in real life but their plan is okay well if we could weaponize this maybe we could do we could kill godzilla with this and so fine that's that's their plan and so they get to this point where the scientist says, uh, "Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go down there. I'm gonna, I'm gonna activate this." And she's like, "No, no, like you're gonna die." Blah blah blah. And the her other her like lover, secret lover, the the army guy's like, "I will go down as well." So they both go down there, and he ends up escaping, you know, just in time. But the scientist guy doesn't. He has to stay there in the water to activate this. And so he tells him, like, you know. Uh, treat her well sort of thing and so it was really it kind of corny though but like at the end of the movie he comes out and he's on the boat and she's like oh my god I worried so much about you but I've worried so much about him and he's all you know oh he didn't make it but his last words were uh he hoped that we would be happy and I'm like what what a what a bummer for that guy knowing that he's gonna die knowing that his girlfriend likes somebody else and he wishes them well like what a baller move. What a, what a brave man to be able to do that. But that's how the movie ends. And so by the end of this first movie, you're going, wow, okay, you know, the, the humans destroyed Godzilla. That's great. And they they were kind of satisfied at that end. And from what I was reading in here was I think they initially uh, weren't planning on making another one, but the tremendous financial success of the original Godzilla kind of made the studio take a second glance and say okay maybe we have something here so the second godzilla movie it came out a year later in 1955 godzilla raids again and this one is also in black and white and i believe uh, actually this one was not directed by ishiro honda this was directed by motoyoshi oda and part of that was because honda had other projects that he was working on like I said, they, they weren't necessarily anticipating doing a sequel, so he kind of moved on to do his own thing. But uh, this movie, I did not like as much as the other movie. And it's uh, it's not necessarily the story, it's more the the film itself. So it's it's a shorter movie. It's only 81 minutes long. So that's like an, it's like an hour and 10 minutes, or what is that, an hour and 20 minutes? Um, yeah, that's an hour and 20 minutes. But... It is uh, kind of like, okay, Godzilla is back. And so they, they make a point to explain that this is not the same Godzilla as the Godzilla from the first movie. And they, they sort of hint at that at the end of the original Godzilla movie. They're like, oh, you know, it's possible that there's other Godzillas out there. It's like uh, in today's day and age, it's like, oh, that's your Easter egg, right? Like that's your, ah, there will be more Godzilla movies. But uh, so this is this new Godzilla 
is, uh, what is it? He just kind of shows up and at the same time they're introducing a, uh, a new monster, which is Anguirus, which is one of my favorites. And that's only because my original favorite Godzilla movie was destroy all monsters. I think that may have been the first Godzilla movie I ever saw. And then it would have been Godzilla King of the monsters, the, the American version of the original, but in King in Destroy All Monsters, Anguirus is in that movie as well. He's basically an Ankylosaurus, uh, like the dinosaur that has a bunch of spikes on his back. He walks on all fours, and he's got the giant tail. The only difference is, in this movie, it's a person in the suit. And so it's very strange, excuse me, as the, uh, as the creature walks around, he walks on his front legs, but his back legs, like he's on his knees on his back legs. And it's like, what kind of, and they, they kind of explain it. There's a bit where they have a dinosaur book and they're talking about it. Like, oh, he's very quick. He's very agile. He can move really fast, which uh, I was like, okay, cool. At least they're kind of explaining what his powers are, but he's essentially the same as Godzilla in that regard, just a giant monster to fight. Now, what I really loved about this movie was when we first see Godzilla it's, it's kind of the way that the people saw Godzilla in the first movie on that mountainside. So the the B-plot, which I would argue in this case is a B-plot, the, the people in this story are so much less interesting than the people in the first movie. So it's it's the same scientist played by Takashi Shimura, and then uh, there's just another kind of a ragtag team of people that are uh, flight pilots. And so there's a lot of scenes of people in planes. And so if you like old movies with planes, that you, you may really like this movie. I thought there was way too much of planes flying around. And so these people land on this island, and it's like a, an abandoned island sort of thing. I think they said that maybe there was radiation coming from the island. But they get there, and they're walking along the island, and then they're like, oh my god. And they like turn around to look, and it does that superimposed thing where up over the cliffside you see Godzilla's head but Godzilla isn't looking at them and you're like oh well what, what is Godzilla doing and all of a sudden you see Anguirus and you're like oh whoa so it's it you're actually watching the two guys fight as the the humans in the movie and they're like we got to get out of here like we don't we don't need to be anywhere near this this is not good and so they get back to their planes and kind of take off but uh the whole problem is now i think godzilla kind of follows them and anguirus does two back to the mainland and so they have to find a way to get rid of godzilla again <clears throat> because uh, you know he he raids again so he comes back, he kind of destroys Osaka, and that's where they use it in here. Still some really good fight scenes, I would say. There's one point in this movie that I had an issue with, and they actually talk about it in the, the sort of special features here, was there's a scene where they, they were trying to do slow motion between Anguirus and uh, Godzilla. And accidentally, the camera guy did it in fast motion. So there's this fight where the two of them are fighting, and uh, it's going really fast. And it was honestly very jarring. And I was like, oh, wow, this is uh, uh, whatever. Fine, I'll push through it. And so by the end of the movie, they it's a very, very long ending. And a very, very long ending for a very, very short movie. But they somehow get Godzilla back. They, like, coax him back to this to that island. And the island has a lot of snow on it, like the mountaintops. And their plan is to shoot the mountaintops with their guns with the planes and then sort of cover Godzilla in ice and freeze him which is is a smart play I would say you know if you can't beat him if you can't ever really kill Godzilla like maybe we can just put him in hibernation and like I said I, I don't know if it was the last 20 minutes I, I it felt way too long but it was just shots of these planes shooting their missiles at the side of a mountain as the mountain snow started falling. And it was all fake, like it's all done in, in the studio, so it's not actually an avalanche. But the fact that they just kept going back over and over this thing, I was like, just get on with it, like you're gonna bury him. And by the end of it, they do. They bury Godzilla, and it's the same sort of song and dance of like, ha, finally, like we beat Godzilla, but you never know what's out there. And then it ends, and it's like, okay, cool. So that that one was one of my uh least favorite i would say of the of the group but it's from what i was reading it's very well received they were saying that a lot of people really liked it and honestly i don't know why but it it it's decent enough to where if you haven't seen it i would recommend it 
but they're calling it in here a, an underrated standout in the Showa series, a highly entertaining, fast-paced adventure that established the template for Godzilla's many big-screen battles to come. And for that, I, I did give it a, probably a point higher than I could have uh, in regards to that, because it really is. It's the first movie where Godzilla fights another creature, and so that sort of sets the stage going forward for everything to come, because every movie after this is him fighting people. So you really only get that one Godzilla movie where it's just him attacking the city, which in a way is kind of special. But from there, the next movie is surprisingly King Kong versus Godzilla. So this movie came out in 1963, which is uh, was that five, seven, eight, seven or eight years after this. So it had been a while, and they kind of wanted to revive the genre in a sense. They they had come out with King Kong a while back, obviously, and then they had made the two Godzilla movies, and they thought. What if we had Godzilla fight King Kong, which makes a lot of sense. And, and back then, again, these movies were in black and white. This was the first one in color. That was really enjoyable. There was a lot of other things in this movie that I did not enjoy. So I'll, I'll dive into that right now. This movie was made in English. And uh, but it was directed both by Ishiro Honda and Tom Montgomery. So there are parts of it, I think, that are in English, like filmed by the Americans. And then there's parts of it that are filmed by the Japanese. And it's it's interesting. But overall, I wasn't I was a huge fan of the idea of this movie, especially because of the the new version coming out. But the movie itself, I did not like because there was some there are some pretty questionable things in this movie, and I'll I'll get into that right now. So, uh, the whole the whole thing of this movie, and and there's a sort of uh, theme of the news, and so like the movie opens up with an American newscaster who's t- giving the background about Godzilla. Godzilla has gone all the way over to Tokyo, and now he is blah blah blah. And they talk about King Kong as well. Oh, there's there's this secret island where these special berries are being made, sort of thing. And so it's very clear to see that it is a uh, kind of like a narrator in a sense, kind of narrating the film, so you understand what's going on, but. There's a lot of pieces in the movie as well that I think were, uh, I don't know, they were they were all in, it was all in English. You, there was an option to put it in, in uh, Japanese, but the or there is a Japanese version of this film, but that's not on the Criterion version, so I only watched the regular, which is fine. I had no, no complaints in that regard, but we get to this spot where uh, these uh, sort of newscast, they're looking for a new big story, and they're looking to revive the ratings of their TV network. So there's a, there's a very um, a very huge TV theme in this movie of just the idea, which we've seen before in prior films, of kind of uh, marketing Godzilla or marketing King Kong as something to revive TV ratings for your network, which is its own sort of uh, meditation in and of itself of like, is that right? Is that wrong? It's definitely wrong. But you know, that's it. That's Hollywood, baby. That's how they do it. So uh, these two guys, these two sort of executives go to uh, this island. And I don't remember the name of the island. It's not Skull Island, like in Kong Skull Island. But uh, at this island, there's a bunch of natives. And for some reason, all of these natives are painted black. And it is not the sort of black that you would typically see of people doing blackface. It was almost a more uh, charcoal type of black. Like it wasn't as glossy as you would see, but it was, it was no less uncomfortable. It was really weird, especially because the people who were doing it were all, it appeared that they were all Japanese actors. And so I had a, a really long conversation with my brother on this. Cause I was like trying to understand how, how to properly judge this, which I think is a really interesting thing. Cause you know, <laughs> back in 1963, they probably were like, oh, this is a great idea. Like, you know, we need we need the actors. That's fine. Don't think twice about it. It wasn't a big deal back then. But when you look back on that history and see how questionable that is, um, I, I try to wonder where to draw the line, though, because, you know, typically when we're judging blackface, it's on American films. It's on, it's on people doing that in American film, which is wrong and always will be wrong. But I'm trying to figure it out from a, a Japanese perspective. So, and I would love to hear, this was one of the big questions that I had coming out of all these Godzilla movies. Again, like I said, I talked with my brother about it for a while. So I'd love to hear if any of you have thoughts on it too. But if you have a 
uh, a sort of nomadic or abandoned island, like a, a island off in the South Pacific. And I think they even show it in the map that it's somewhere kind of off the coast of Australia, more so towards uh, like a Pacific island, essentially. You would think if you're trying to make it as authentic as possible, you would want Pacific Islanders to be there. Well, okay, fine. We don't have any Pacific Islanders in the 1960s that are trying to be in movies or are you know professional enough to be in a movie. Again, I don't know the situation, but We'll start with that one assumption that that's not the case. So you are asking Japanese actors, Japanese people to to play Islanders. Is it right that you would color them in that shade? Which again, when you watch it, it's like, oh, this, like you can tell their entire bodies are painted. Is there, is, obviously that's wrong, but like, so what would have been right in that case is my question. How, how can you reconcile that otherwise for the time period? And what I did soon find out in the next few movies, because we do see that there's, there's sort of an island theme coming up in some of the other films, they had Japanese people in those other films that were very, very tan. And they seemed like the kind of people that would be sort of the, you know hanging out on the beach type of uh, very leathered skin that's, that's very touched by the sun. And that looked good. And it, it was fine in my eyes, but I was like so then was that missing in this movie were those actors not around or was the studio just too lazy to try because it really was off-putting and obviously you know i'm talking about it here it's taken up a couple minutes of this conversation but it really was it was weird um <clears throat> i don't know it just it, it took me off took me by surprise and so they're at this island and, and we got the classic you know the people against the natives of oh you know here's some gifts that we have we just want to see they keep talking about this god and they're like, we want to meet your God. And they're saying that because they want to see if it's like, is this a real thing? Because if so, we can grab some pictures, we could take a take some film of it, and then boost our TV ratings. And there's a really weird scene, too, where they're trying to get the favor of these islanders. And they're, they give them cigarettes. And again, 1960s, fine, whatever. But there's this really weird bit where they give two cigarettes to a little kid who wants a cigarette. And I was just like, ugh, you know, the age of this movie absolutely showed. And, you know, they're, they're talking with the, the Islanders now who are a little more friendly with them after they were given their gifts. And they're explaining, like, oh, there's this god. They don't really talk about it, but the two guys are like, ah, like, they're probably lying. This isn't real. And all of a sudden, a bunch of thunder and lightning starts. And they're like, oh, my God, like, is that, is that the, you know, oh, my God, we don't know. And so they run away. And they're safe down by where they all live, which is in these huts by the sea. And so they start diving into the history of these berries. Uh, the, again, the news people are talking about it on the TV through some of the narration. But there are these berries that only come from this island. They're these red berries. And so they're sort of investigating that as well. And we find out that there's a whole hut filled with these this berry juice. And they don't explain what the juice does. But at one point, I think a couple people get injured and they're like, we need to get some of the berry juice. And it was like, oh, is it, you know, so is it helpful for healing? I don't know. And so they're all sleeping. They're all resting at night and they get, we get this so out of left field, but really awesome scene where an octopus comes onto the, uh, the shore and it's a real live octopus, but just like Godzilla in the prior films, this octopus is superimposed on the screen, so it looks way bigger than it is, but it's a real, just regular-sized octopus, and so it's it's moving around, and uh, again, I'm looking at it like, okay, so, you know, did this octopus make it out alive? Because they were really, you know, people are shooting at it, and they aren't actually shooting at it because of the, the superimposition, but uh, you know, it's wrecking, wrecking shop, wrecking these dioramas. And so I was curious if it got injured at all. And funny enough, if you go on IMDb, one of the trivia pieces on IMDb is that three octopi were used in this, uh, in this filming and the director let two of them go afterwards and then ate the third one, which again, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that, but I guess, you know, it's just, it's, it's taco, right? Like it's, it's uh, just like sushi. So I, I guess, never heard of that happening before, but whatever. So just a long line of things that Kong vs. Godzilla is having to deal with in this movie. But we find out now that King Kong shows up. And so these guys are like, oh, crap, that is who they were talking about. Like, this is a huge ape. And so the ape fights the octopus. 
battles it back out into the sea. I think it actually ends up killing it. Um, but then it busts open the hut that has all the red berries and uh, King Kong drinks a bunch of the berry juice and passes out, like just flat out passes out to sleep. So we now find out that this berry juice makes you very sleepy. And so we go, oh, okay. So this is the sort of, you know, red herring in a sense of, of the MacGuffin of the show, how we're going to defeat King Kong. So magically, without any explanation, King Kong is on the back of a boat being lugged across the sea now. The people were able to safely get him onto the barge sleeping because of the berry juice and the guy who is the sort of executive the main executive of this tv show or tv station is really funny and he's all excited about king kong but uh, there's just a couple fun bits in there but the the those are the only really exciting parts and that was kind of a bummer so by the end of it you know godzilla is fighting kong and it is a bad fight. Like, I was not enjoying the fight. It really did just look like two people in suits fighting. They're throwing rocks at each other and boulders and shooting each other with fire, but nothing really worked. And so by the end of this, the you know, there really isn't a winner. We find, I think, King Kong kind of drops a mountain, in a sense, on Godzilla, and then he jumps off the side of a cliff. So King Kong runs back into the sea and presumably goes back to his island, and we don't really see what happens with Godzilla at this point, which is weird, and uh, kind of a weird way of uh, ending the film, but like I said, you know, this was, this was one of the ones lower on my list for sure. And as I'm looking at the, the criterion sort of synopsis of this film, uh, there, there was a hint, or, or they're trying to make Godzilla seem more human in this movie and trying to make him a little bit funny, which again, to me, didn't land. But one of the other things that I really, really stuck out to me, and I confirmed it through both IMDb and this Criterion uh, slip, is they actually used music from other Universal movies in this film. And the only reason that I knew this as I was watching, I was like, oh, that's that's Creature from the Black Lagoon. Because I one of my favorite movies ever is Creature from the Black Lagoon. So I know that soundtrack. And that whole bit, when the monster shows up, each time when the creature shows up, the bum, 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 that was the same. They were using the exact same uh, music for when Godzilla and King Kong were fighting or anytime they were showing up, which was so lazy. And there's so much, I think to me, that's probably what I would describe this movie as. It was very lazy in its execution. It still was a very cool movie in terms of the, the set design and, and the, you know, the miniatures and all of that, that was fine. But the movie itself just seemed like a very lazy plot point. But by the end of this movie, this is kind of the movie that showed that Godzilla could be a mainstay, that Godzilla is something that we can make a bunch of movies of. And so that is kind of what kicked the sort of Godzilla franchise into high gear. And next in line is a movie that I liked a lot more than the last two movies, which was Mothra versus Godzilla. So this one is in 1964, so it came out the next year after Godzilla versus Kong. And just as it, it sounds, it is Mothra versus Godzilla. But the reason I love this movie so much more is because it was such a strong message. The people in this movie are so much more interesting. And uh, there was only one problem that I had with it, which is, and I confirmed it was both on my Blu-ray and on HBO Max. So I'll tell you guys this too. I didn't mention it at the beginning, but all of these movies are available on HBO Max to stream, every single one of them. So, you know, the joke's on me that I actually paid for them, but I, you know, I love my Blu-ray, so I'm not, I'm not complaining. But in both of them, there is a sort of film cell flicker at the bottom of the screen anytime the scene changes, which I I don't know too much about film, but from what I, I can grasp, I think, you know, when they're when they're splicing the scenes together on the film reel, uh, there's probably an issue there that's causing this weird thing. So honestly, it was really messing with my eyes. And I had to like close my eyes for certain bits when I knew a scene change was coming just because it was like a, a very quick white flash. 
And uh, so I guess for those who are photosensitive, maybe be careful on that. But as the movie goes on, it becomes less and less of a problem and doesn't show up as much towards the end. But the reason I love this movie is because there are two little ladies, uh, which I online, they're called the Cosmos, but they're just two very tiny women who are, they're purposely tiny. So they are, they're kind of that same super imposed on the rest of the film. So everyone else is standing normal. And then there are these two probably five inch tall women who are just the exact same. And they are sort of, um, I wouldn't call them prophets, but they're more of guardians of Mothra, I guess you could say, or the matrons of Mothra. Uh, I kind of like the matrons of Mothra as I'm saying it, but they they both speak at the exact same time. They both say the exact same thing. There are moments when they, they will say other things, but they, they just, they're constantly spewing truths and talking about how, you know, the, the world is in peril right now because people are destroying the planet. There's just a really, a really strong planet message. And so the, the film starts out with this egg that shows up on shore and the this guy another sort of studio executive type guy grabs the egg and wants to use it to become rich to you know oh come and see the egg what will the egg hatch into sort of thing and these two little ladies show up and they're like that's mothra's egg and people are like, oh, like who's Mothra? Who are you? You're really tiny people. And so they don't believe it. But then, and they and they explain that they're from Infant Island, which is another island out in the sea where Mothra lives. And so they they befriend these other people who um, believe them, and they're like, okay, well, what what can we do? And they're kind of like, okay, we need to get this egg. We Mothra is going to come, but part of it as well is Godzilla shows up. And it, this is all from this big storm. Like the storm washes the uh, egg up and kind of washes Godzilla ashore. And so while he's wrecking shop, the people are trying to survive. And so they're like, can you at least have Mothra come and help us? And they're like, I don't know. Like, you know, Mothra doesn't really want to help because why right like these people are they're trying to profit off of the egg they've been causing all these you know all the nuclear testing that they've been doing like why would mothra want to help so there's a really strong message there about treating the earth with respect treating all living things with respect and i really like that it really resonated with me and so by the end of it they do convince mothra to show up through some fantastic song and dance that i i'm not exaggerating the music the the singing by these two cosmos is so cool in this movie i loved it and so mothra shows up but they do they warn them like mothra will help but mothra is really old like mothra is about to die and that is why mothra has an egg so you know don't expect too much sort of thing and so Mothra does show up. There's a pretty cool fight between Mothra and Godzilla. And then Mothra does die. Like, not before beating Godzilla. Like, Godzilla still kind of has the upper hand. But once Mothra passes, the egg hatches. And inside of the egg are two tiny Mothra that are just larvae. So they look like caterpillars. Uh, they look more like Weedle than they do uh, Caterpie. But they act a lot more, I would say, like Caterpie in that they, they use string shot the entire time. That's the attack that they use when they're fighting Godzilla, but it works. So they essentially shoot a bunch of webbing on Godzilla, and he gets so caught up in the webbing, and that's basically how he gets defeated. And it's great. It's a, it kind of a great bit. And the the little Mothras head back to Infant Island, and and you're you're kind of left thinking, I wish I had more time with Mothra. I, I wish to me, I was saying, I wish I had more time with the Cosmos, because I thought they were so cool. And so shout out and 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 uh, hats off to Ishiro Honda because he directed that movie as well. But now we're diving into of these new ones because all the only one like i said the only ones of this entire list that i think i've seen were godzilla and uh destroy all monsters maybe son of godzilla maybe so out of all the new ones that i've never seen before this one became my favorite which is Ghidorah, the three-headed monster this one came out in 1964 also directed by ishiro honda my favorite so far and i don't know if it's uh, gonna get topped by any of the others and I'll, i'm gonna explain to you why the the reason for it is because this is the first time that i have appreciated the monsters and the people equally 
oftentimes in these movies, the monster story is very interesting and the people story is not and vice versa. The people story is interesting, but the monsters are boring or the story is dumb. This one is interesting on all fronts. So the, the storyline itself is there's this princess that disappears and she's trying, she's being attempted to be assassinated so these these people trying to kill the princess uh they try to blow up her plane as she's flying to tokyo i believe and she jumps out of the plane at the last minute she gets like this message in her head and she jumps out and so then in the next scene she shows up in these like beggar clothes as a prophet explaining shouting to like all these people godzilla is coming and that rodan is coming and that there's just this there's crisis coming and calamity and they're like who are you like who the hell are you and and she says i'm from venus and it was just the coolest concept because this to me is a movie plot that would have worked today like in today's day and age it's a very strong message about listening to people when they're warning you of upcoming events sort of thing and you know because of this this is going to happen yet no one listens and so we find out that eventually by the end of it that the one of the alien people from Venus had kind of put their soul and mind into the princess to save her at the last minute when she jumped out of her plane and is now using that to warn of impending doom and that impending doom is King Ghidorah who is this three-headed monster that is so badass and if you've seen the most recent Godzilla movie you will love this because the sounds that it makes are the exact same. The storyline about it is the exact same. It's this just crazy space monster. And so what happened is Ghidorah went was at, in Venus or went to Venus and destroyed the civilization there. And so they are kind of the last survivors of Venus trying to warn that Ghidorah is coming. Like the again, the, you know, the British are coming, the British are coming, like trying to warn people, but no one will listen because it's a woman and it's somebody who's nonsense except there are two people that do believe her and so they're trying to help they're a brother and sister who are both trying to help because they believe her but they are also tag teaming with the cosmos so the two little ladies are in this movie and they are so awesome in this movie they get so much more room to work they get to sing their songs and it's the same people i think who played them in the last movie so it this just felt like an avengers level type movie where by the end of it you get godzilla rodan the giant pterodactyl mothra as the caterpie weedle mothra and uh also Ghidorah, all fighting Ghidorah, and it just uh, it was just so good i really really enjoyed it i gave this one an eight out of ten like i i would watch this movie again i i plan to watch it again because it was so good it it really hit on all the right notes of what a good godzilla movie should be which is great action set pieces great character design and uh, a ton of different monsters and then also which is what happened which didn't happen in king of the monsters back in 2019 is a really interesting human storyline because oftentimes the human storylines fall off the wayside so i would really recommend this one i liked it a lot uh <laughs> like i said it was really really fun so next up after Ghidorah is Invasion of the Astro Monster, which is also directed by Ishiro Honda. This one came out in 1965, and I did not like this one as much as I liked Ghidorah, even though it also had Ghidorah. It just was a little bit more boring. Um, again, the story wasn't as exciting, but when you when I think back on this movie, I did like it. Uh, it's just that I didn't like it as much as these other movies. So the premise of this is that these aliens arrive on Earth known as the Zillions, X-I-L-I-E-N-S, so like alien but Zillion. They arrive on Earth and they ask, can we please borrow Godzilla and Rodan to help save their planet from Monster Zero, which is uh, King Ghidorah? And so kind of in the vein from the last movie, it was like, you know what, they're a little hesitant at first, but the aliens say, if you help us, we will give you the cure to all diseases that you have, to cancer, all this stuff. We have the cure. We'll give it to you. And as I'm watching it, I was like, this is weird. Like, who? Like, what? They have the cure to every disease? Okay. 
and what made this movie so good is that they were lying like and and so it it does sound crazy and it's crazy because it is crazy so the the but the americans are you know the americans the the humans of earth are like yeah okay that sounds good so it's kind of like i thought it was almost as if they were doing a, a killing two birds with one stone like yeah go ahead and take godzilla and rodan if this doesn't work out like they're your problem now and then we're gonna get the cure for cancer so there's a great bit where they they transport godzilla and rodan to the moon or uh, i think it was the moon or maybe it's just their planet the moon might be in the next episode but they trans transport him there they fight Ghidorah. they beat Ghidorah, and uh so the aliens show back up and they're like thank you for all your help and they're like oh yeah well but what about our cure and they're, they send them the cd and they're like play this music play this and when they play it the aliens say basically we lied we were lying we own earth now and you all are our subjects and if and the reason for it and you get little hints of it but the reason is because their planet is running out of water they have no water left and uh the earth is obviously very water rich so they want to mine it for all of its water and of course they're like no we're not going to do this like we can't do this and so out of nowhere Ghidorah, godzilla and rodan show up they get transported back to um to earth and so they wreak havoc and they're like that's basically what's going to happen like you know they're going to get wrecked and we find out the only way to defeat these aliens is through this very small subplot of one of the characters who developed this mugging deterrent where you press this button on this it lo- it almost looks like a tiny a tiny mirror that that someone would have in their purse like a circular mirror that would flip open but you don't flip it open you just press a button and it just emits a sound and apparently the sound is of a frequency that these aliens can't handle and so when you know there's certain humans who are captured and and the guy's like oh i've got this thing that's why like i have it and so he presses the button and the aliens freak out and by the end of it they win so like i said it's a strange storyline but i liked the premise of these aliens betraying earth even though it was so obvious it was like how did you not know this so overall i liked that one better than king kong and godzilla raids again but not as good as the other movies so after invasion of the astro monster is ibira horror of the deep this one was directed by jun fukuda in 1966 and this is a stark departure from the other godzilla movies because you know we were slowly getting into this space age idea of this of Ghidorah being this creature from outer space this movie focuses on one specific island and on this island are some pretty wild creatures and so the whole the whole premise of this story is this guy's brother has gone missing and he was sort of lost at sea and so he's out searching for him along with a couple of others and they end up on this island and they find eventually they find his brother but it's it, they're kind of captured by this the red bamboo i think was the name that they were it was some group of people who were experimenting with radiation and so there are a lot of creatures on this island that have grown in size including some praying mantis and one giant lobster which is ibira and so by the end of this it's a fight between godzilla and ibira throwing boulders at each other and so godzilla throws a boulder at ibira ibira catches the boulder in its pincer and then throws it back at godzilla who then hits it with his head to throw it back at a beer and they literally go back and forth like this probably six times and so i was like okay it it was not one of my favorite it's actually one of my least favorite so i i I liked ibiro less than godzilla raids again and less than king kong versus godzilla just was it was a nice movie if you're just looking for something to play in the background and enjoy the beach scenery mothra even makes a appearance towards the end as he you know it saves the captives and by way of this sort of handmade plant-based uh platform that it grabs onto and carries everyone away it was pretty kind of cool but overall like i said just wasn't a huge fan of especially of abira i mean i'm fine with godzilla fighting a giant lobster but if godzilla and this lobster are throwing rocks back and forth at each other like i've got better uses of my time than watching abira do that to godzilla so wasn't one of my favorites but things started picking up 
with the next movie, and this will be the final movie that I talk about on this episode, which is Son of Godzilla, also directed by Jun Fukada, uh, but this came out in 1967. I was really looking forward to this movie for the express reason that I didn't think I would like this movie because it's about Godzilla's baby. Like, how okay. And uh, as I was watching it, though, I was like, oh, I actually really like this movie. And I, I it very quickly dawned on me that I really like this movie. So uh, you get Godzilla, you get Godzilla's baby, Manila, and then you also get uh, those giant praying mantises that are kind of teased in the other movie. Uh, Godzilla fights them. We get to see Godzilla training Manila in terms of how to use his fire power out of his mouth. It's actually a pretty funny scene. He's like trying to, uh, you know, shoot the, the beam out of his mouth and it just almost looks like smoke rings coming out of his mouth until Godzilla steps on his tail and he's like, ah, and then he shoots out a real, real firebolt, which was great. There's also really great creature in here called Kurumanga which is a giant spider. It looks just like Shilob from uh, or Shilob from Lord of the Rings. But what's cooler is you can see, and it, you know, depending on what you think cool is, but you can see the strings on these mantis on the spider in different spots. But to me, when you see that, you start to understand what went into making this movie. And they talk about it in the Criterion piece that. Uh, dozens of people standing on rafters holding this spider and the other creatures like puppets guiding their their you know the little feet moving and all this stuff and so when you realize that you've got all these people standing above this uh above this set doing this making it look believable the way that it is the coordination and synchronicity that has to go into something like that is just amazing and so i think they did such a good job on this one of really capturing that quality and then i really enjoyed the human storyline in here as well which was that there are these people on this island that are not necessarily part of the government but they're experimenting on weather and if they can manipulate weather in order to uh, kind of increase crop growth and that sort of stuff and so it isn't going very well but by the end of it when they need to escape the island because of godzilla and you know you know all the rage that's going on on the island they use this weather to start up a giant snowstorm which is uh, really cool, I thought. And, and so, you know, they get away by the end of it, but I really enjoyed this one, uh, surprisingly, and we'll see as we get into the next movie, but I liked this movie a little more than Destroy All Monsters, which is huge because uh, I've grown up with Destroy All Monsters, and I think the reason for it is because it was very self-contained. Everything happens on this island. We get some really funny beats. We get some really serious beats. We get some good character development on the human side whereas destroy all monsters and i'll talk about that a lot more in the next episode destroy all monsters is cool in theory and has some really great scenes but there's a it feels like there's some filler in it and so we'll get to that when we when we do in the next episode but for now I believe that's eight Godzilla movies uh, for your listening pleasure on this episode, and we're getting right at an hour on this episode, so I think this was perfect timing. But safe to say, I am very excited to see King Kong vs. Godzilla. Uh, if I'm able, I will go see it in theaters. If not, obviously it's on HBO, so we're going to be watching it that way as well. But I, I just I love this genre. I love this franchise, and I love everything about Godzilla. Uh, just listening to the soundtracks as the movies are going, and seeing him wreck shop, he is a very scary creature. And so I'm I'm really excited to dive into some of these future movies, uh, because again, out of the next set of movies, besides a few of the ones I've already seen doing this, I hadn't seen any of them. Uh, just destroy all monsters. So just as a a peek of what's coming. The next episode, we will talk about Destroy All Monsters, All Monsters Attack, Godzilla vs. Hedorah, Godzilla vs. Gigan, Godzilla vs. Megalon, and then Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla, and The Terror of Mechagodzilla. All of these movies are on HBO Max, so if you want to get a heads uh, a head start, as I am, in prepping for that Ultimate Godzilla watch, uh, feel free to do so. And uh, keep it here so we can keep talking about it. So for Comics and Cinema, I'm your host, Alex Klein. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.